Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. So Trevor emphasized unity, and I'm going to complement that with a talk on humility. And so if you are a Jesus-loving church, well, that means that Jesus is central in this church. It means that, that that's kind of good news. That means that we don't have to have any kind of competition uh, to find a person or a personality to compete for that central and that honored position. Because Jesus is central, that means that you don't have to be. Uh, that means that Pastor Trevor can take a Sunday off and things don't implode because he's not building this church. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that you, volunteers, whether you're going to the breakfast, you got the invite or not, that means that this church is not held together by any personality or collection of personalities. But being Jesus-centered means that we can all breathe a sigh of relief because we don't need to feel the weight of being the most important personality in the room. You're not central. Jesus is. And that means that if you're also a non-denominational, Jesus-loving Bible church, that means if you're a Bible church, that means that, that this book, that means the Word of God, which we heard read to us so beautifully a few moments ago, that means that if it's treasured, that means that we can also breathe a second sigh of relief because Olive Branch Church is not held together by the cleverness or the insights of any speaker or any statement of faith. It's God's word itself. It's not our psychological insight. You have God's very words that lead and that guide and that direct. And so if there's a church that holds those things in esteem. If you're Jesus-loving and Bible-treasuring, well, that means that necessarily that's going to lead you to be a humble church. Or the way that I like to phrase it is a humility-pursuing church. The, the things that we believe will shape how we act, and they're going to create the kind of Christians that we're becoming. And so loving Jesus and being Bible-treasuring are really going to help you out on this pursuit of humility. The things that we believe, not just on a website, not just on paper, but deeply within our heart, they're going to form and shape us into who we're going to become. That's true for individuals, and that's true for church cultures as well. Uh, there's a slide. I, I, think, I think I quoted this exact same quote last time I preached here on Galatians chapter 2, but actually this work, guys, I've read other books, <laughs> and I know other quotes, but this one, it actually bears repeating. Uh, Ray Ortland says that gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. The things we believe and the, the things we treasure shape the way that we act. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture do not coexist by lucky chance. The doctrine creates and sustains the culture. The way we live together in our churches grows out of what we believe together. And so doctrinally, you are a, a Jesus-loving and Bible-believing church. If we're doing that right, that's going to lead us into being a humility-pursuing church. Now, for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about humility. And let me just admit the obvious. You're going to be watching something weird. You're going to be watching a proud man 
try to talk about humility. And I realize there's kind of a cognitive dissonance in that. And I'm not boasting saying that I'm proud. I'm kind of admitting. Let me, let me just say this. I'm a proud man, but I don't want to be. Or I'm a proud man, but I want to be pursuing humility. And then also if we zoom out a little bit further, maybe we'd see too, I'm talking to a bunch of proud people as well. And, and we, but hopefully the Spirit of God in us is causing us to yearn to have this kind of humility that Trevor preached about last week and that we'll hear about again from a different angle this morning. And so to that end, let me briefly pray and let's get after this, okay? So Father in heaven, we sang it earlier on that you are good. And even though our circumstances mightn't be, uh, but we believe that you, the, the king of all creation, you are good. As I talk about this assigned topic, Lord, may you help me and help us to take these things to heart. And at the beginning of what could be a very challenging year or in the middle of what has been a very upending season, uh, Lord, would you grant us the grace to look to Christ, to be empowered by your spirit, and to engage in a life of humility. Pray this in the name of your son. Amen. All right. So there might be a slide that says, what is humility and why are we pursuing it? And then the other question is, what is pride and why are we avoiding it? Those are some of the thoughts that I want to center us around. Uh, John Stott said that at every stage of our Christian development, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. So what is this? If it's so important, well, I would say the opposite of humility, which what we want, is pride. So first, I want to let you know your enemy for a few moments before we talk about pursuing the Christian virtue of humility. Pride is, well, it's, it's spiritual arrogance, or this kind of an older-fashioned Christian word of um, haughtiness, H-A-U-G-H-T-I-N-I-S-S, haughtiness. Uh, which means like just being uh, impressed with ourselves, um, thinking too much or too highly of ourselves, and then thinking too little or too lowly of those around us, a, a sense of superiority. And guess what? The Bible goes to war against that. That type of self-important pride is something that at every point in our lives is going to cause discord, disharmony, vandalism of the good things that God has brought into our lives. Here's the reason why. We serve a humble God, uh, and, and God has seen pride wreak havoc in his good creation. And, and so what he does is he does two things. Number one, he seeks to bless and to honor humility wherever he finds it, and he opposes pride and arrogance amongst his people. And the reason why is because pride is destructive and it's deceitful. Uh, first, is this, yeah, awesome. There's, um, pride's destructive. The initial impulse that not only dehumanizes other humans, a proud person dehumanizes humans, and then also, spiritually speaking, a proud person attempts to de-God God. 
So it dehumanizes humans and it de-gods God. It's an attempt to take his place as the most important person in every room. C.S. Lewis writes that as long as you're proud, you can't know God because a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And as long as you're looking down, then you can never lift your eyes to see something that is above you. So pride is destructive. Pride dehumanizes those that are around us and attempts to de-deify God. Pride is the, it's the root from which all kinds of defilement grows out of. If you're familiar with the, the concept of the seven deadly sins that early Christians have compiled together in the fourth, fifth, and sixth centuries of the Christian church, it's often been symbolized like an ancient artwork as a tree that has six branches with lust, envy, greed, sloth, etc., coming off of one central trunk. And that central trunk is pride. Out of pride come all of these other defiling things. It's almost like John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. As you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Well, and like this, this weird inversion takes place as we abide in proud, self-centered arrogance. All kinds of wicked fruit comes out. So pride is destructive and also pride is deceitful. Thing about pride is we're rarely able to self-diagnose. Do you remember a couple years ago, back in 2020, when we all had those little at-home tests that we would take and we would stick something up our nose, hold it there for a few seconds, and then we'd dip it into the other thing and we'd we'd realize, oh, I've got this diagnosis. Actually, we could talk about actually there's another shouldn't bring it up what contentious times back then. But oftentimes, there is no at-home test where we can self-diagnose this. We, we trick ourselves into thinking that it's, it's right that we esteem ourselves higher than everyone else, or that it's right to esteem ourselves higher than a certain kind of people or a certain grouping of people. And to do so, it's deceitful self-deception, but also it is, it's cosmic plagiarism. It's taking credit for something that ultimately you didn't create and you didn't do. Uh, if there's any students or if there's any teachers in the room, like you're aware of plagiarism when somebody copies and pastes the work of another scholar or an author and then takes credit for it as if it's their own. That's a, a dismissible, that's a, a fireable offense in many jobs, that's a flunkable offense for many courses in college or in secondary school education. And cosmic plagiarism is when we might look at some of the advantages or some of the blessings or some of the gifts that God above has given to us, and then we take credit for it. It's a spirit of ungratefulness to God. It also is esteeming ourselves better than other people based on ethnicity or nationality or gender or age or ability or achievements. Some people even can, can pick the silliest things to look down on others for because that helps them to feel better about themselves. I was on a real... Um, parenting podcasting kick um, a while ago where I, I found as many parenting podcasts as as I could, you know, because parenting's a big deal. Right, Owen? That's my son, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mess this up. 
Right, Owen? All right, so uh, we got Owen and then two others. But so I, I was listening to uh, an, a secular Irish podcast, and they have kind of like people writing questions, and then the experts kind of give their advice. And there's all different kind of problems and attitude issues or, or this or that or the other. And one of the, the kind of questions really caught my attention because it was, it was an Irish parent writing in to this Irish podcast, asking for advice. And the title of the episode was this, Help, My Son is Developing an American Accent. (laughs) They were talking about how their son is watching a lot of American television programs, and that is influencing the way that he speaks. And they're saying, how can we fix this problem? So whether it's something as insignificant as an accent or any other thing, we like to find something that makes us better and then cling on to that, whether it actually is moral or uh, meritorious at all. We want to be better, so we have to make other people worse. As we're talking about pride, let me just briefly say a thing or two about what pride is not. So pride is dangerous. God fights against it. We should resist it. But let's clarify terms a little bit. Pride is not having a a self-image that is a little bit healthy, that is confident. Uh, There is nothing wrong with understanding that you are made in God's image and that with his help, you're able to get some things right. So in our day and age, when like mental health is fracturing, when people's self-identity is increasingly complicated, uh, many young people and older people find ourselves to be either unlovable or we might think that we're unloved. So the truth is, my brother, my sister, my fellow Christian, you're actually incredibly loved. Uh, You've been created by God the Father with a a tender intentionality. And you have been redeemed by God the Son with his own precious blood. And you have been sealed by God the Holy Spirit, forever claiming you as his own. And then also, Jesus is described in Hebrews chapter 2, and he says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Uh, There might even be relatives that we're not that proud of, but when Jesus looks at you, he says, well, she's mine, he's mine, and I'm not ashamed to claim him as part of my family. There's kind of language in a lot of Christianity that would talk about ourselves as, well, I'm just a a filthy sinner saved by grace. And also, that's that's true, (laughs) That, that is true, but also the other half of that, and that I'm made righteous in God's eyes. Um, so pride is not the same as having like a, a positive self-image or, or even having satisfaction in a job well done. Whether it's a, it's a meal that feeds people and that is a centerpiece for a wonderful evening or it's a, an achievement in the workplace, it's okay. And in fact, I would say it's rather godly to look at what you've been doing and take a step back and say, it is good just like how God did when he created the world and you. It is good. Uh, Here's how Mark Woods puts it in the next slide. There's a difference between a healthy self-awareness and then a damaging focus on our own interior lives. 
Being humble means losing our obsession with our own feelings, needs, and desires, and then shifting our focus onto other people. It doesn't mean what's going on in our own minds and hearts isn't important, but we don't have the starring role in our lives. I think it's a helpful distinction. I like the song that we sang earlier on. We, we sang it a few different times in a row. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. So when I'm saying that we should be pursuing humility, it doesn't mean like, a, like an anxious restlessness, uh, constantly lacking any sort of confidence at all. But there could be even a restedness as we're saying, well, you know what? God has declared certain things to be true and I'm trusting him. So now we move on to saying what pride is not and what it is. What's humility? I can't do better than uh, Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, She puts it this way. She says that humility, it's simply agreeing with reality. I mean, we can all make things very complicated if we want. I do that all the time. I do that for a living. No, (laughs) Um, Jackie Hill Perry in just a very short sentence, humility is agreeing with reality. That means not thinking of ourselves too highly. And then also conversely, not thinking too lowly of ourselves either. The word humility, the English word humility comes from a Latin word, hummus. And I love that for two reasons. Number one, because it is my favorite dipping condiment. I love hummus with all of my heart. But the the word hummus, it means like from the soil. And I think that is helpful because it reminds us that a life of humility, it means to be like earthy or it means to be grounded, means to have your feet planted firmly on the ground. And then from there, then you can agree with reality. I wonder, has anybody ever used or is aware of the prayer book called The Valley of Vision? Um, It's a collection of period. Are you the only one? Okay. Well, you guys, you know what's up. (laughs) It's a Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. I found it to be quite helpful in my own spiritual life and development. The Puritans have kind of a bad rap of being like sin-obsessed people. And, And to a degree, yeah, they're aware of these realities. But there's a line from one of those prayers that says this. It says, keep me ever mindful of my natural state. But let me not forget my heavenly title or the grace that can deal with every sin. That's hummus, you know? That's reality. That is agreeing with reality. Yeah, I've got a natural state. I need to remember that all the time. But what I also need to remember is that God has made promises, God has given grace, and God can help me overcome every sin. I love that to go deep into the past of the the Puritan era, but guys, let's go let's go further back. Uh, You want to know my my, you want to know my second favorite Irish uh, missionary? My first favorite is Rachel Neglia. My second favorite is Saint Patrick, the first, the best, only tied with Rachel. so he, he, wrote, um, he wrote like two books, and they're both super short. And um, one of them is his autobiography. And he kind of introduces himself in the first paragraph this way. He says, my name is Patrick, 
a sinner, a simple country person. I'm the least of all believers. I'm looked down upon by many. Kind of humble sounding, right? Although I am imperfect in many ways, I want my brothers and my relations to know what I'm really like so they can see what inspires my life. And then he goes on and talks about his, his life story, his journey, the way that he was brought uh, from England where he was born and raised against his will. And then he came to Ireland and then he was there as a slave and then he escaped and then God called him back. And then he was used in a mighty way for the rest of his life, planting dozens of churches, training hundreds of leaders and really making an impact in his generation. But he begins that by being like, Guys, I could barely read or write. I am not that great. I am a sinner. But God's used me, and I hope it encourages you. And then he goes on, uh, uh, you know, like 40 pages later, and then he says this. I am then first and foremost unlearned, an unlettered exile who cannot plan for the future. But this much I know for sure. I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. And then he who is mighty came, and in his mercy, he not only pulled me out, but he lifted me up and he placed me at the very top of the wall. I must therefore speak publicly in order to thank the Lord for such wonderful gifts, gifts for the present and for eternity, which the human mind cannot measure. So I love that. Isn't that an example of like, hummus. (laughs) Isn't that example of like earthiness? He even says, I was like a stone lying in the earth, but God who is mighty reached down, picked me up, and then now he is using me. That's your testimony. That's my testimony. If God is at work in our lives, it's because he's picked us up and then he's using us. And it doesn't mean that we always only ever have to demean the work that God's doing in our lives now. We could say God's doing good things in the life of my family, or I'm seeing progress in my spiritual growth, or I'm thankful for this, that, or the other. And that's not boasting. That's not arrogance. That's agreeing with reality. And I'm excited to talk about humility because it's one of our church, Calvary Cork, is one of our core values. Uh, We really believe in this. And again, it's ironic because all of us are proud men and women pursuing humility. That's why we use the language to say, we're not a humble church, we're a humility pursuing church. And I think that, that allows us the freedom to say, we're not there yet, but we want to be. As we were Trying to decide how to describe this core value a couple of years ago, we, we considered saying that we're a truth-telling church because we want to tell the truth about ourselves and we want to tell the truth about God. But we, we think, you know, I think humility pursuing kind of gets to it. Humility is important to us because it's important to God. Uh, this is the first thing that Jesus said when he stood on the mount and he gave his sermon on the mount. When when Jesus cleared his divine throat and then began the sermon on the mount, the first thing out of his divine lips is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He wants to put a blessing upon those that are humble. And the rest of the Bible agrees. Let's take a a tour through the Bible. You're a Bible-believing church, right? Let's do this. So there's a bunch of slides, and you could keep up if you can. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, 
but the haughty he knows from afar, Psalms says. Micah 6, eight says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 66, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and he who trembles at my word. God declares his utter self-sufficiency and his lack of need. But he says, but you know what catches my eye? a humble woman of God, a humble son of mine that catches my eye. When I see someone trembling at my word, that is more impressive than a dozen cathedrals or all the temples of the world. This is the whom to whom I will look. The New Testament, James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble? Well, I want God's grace. What do I got to do to get that grace? Well, I got to pursue humility. I have to reject pride because I want to get that grace. Now, Ireland is a very cold place. I'm talking physically here, but of course, as Rachel said, spiritually as well. But there's, I have all these memories in the winter months, uh, walking up and down Patrick Street and, and being in the cold city center where, where we get to live and, and work and minister. And, um, and there's these like convenience stores, kind of like 7-Elevens, and they have what's called like a hot food counter, a hot food deli where they sell sausages and, and all these other little things. And I remember, not in the early days, not having the finances to buy myself one of those sausages, <laughs> but I would go in and I would kind of like window shop. I would place my cold hands on the warm glass and just kind of look around as if I'm looking for the perfect sausage. And then after my hands kind of warm up a bit, then I would leave and put them in my pocket and then continue on my way because I wanted the warmth. And so I'd go to where the warmth was. God gives grace to the humble. So let's pursue humility that we might be warmed by that grace. And here's the thing. Do you know who's uniquely tempted towards pride? Religious people. People who come to church at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> people who wake up super early and get your day started at 9.30. There is that tendency to be like, well, I'm here, aren't I? I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 is a long warning where Jesus speaks to the religious people of his day and warns them against their spiritual pride. And so it is worth preaching two weeks in a row about the value of humility to church folks because we are tempted towards that same sort of pride, patting ourselves on the back, because in the world gone mad, we've got it right. So how do we pursue humility? Olive Branch, how can you pursue humility? Here's a few quick ideas as I finish. So as a, as a church community, as individuals, we can pursue humility by 
by not over-promising what we can do for anyone. Like, we have a God who's mighty. Uh, To kind of borrow the language of the genie from Aladdin, he has phenomenal cosmic power. And you and me, we're good at, like, three things. (laughs) Max, on, on a good day. He knows, he has no limitations And we, my friends, we're like, we're nothing but a collection of limitations. So we're limited, and we want to acknowledge that limit. You know, over the the course of the almost 20 years of ministry in Ireland, um, there's been, you know, people from other, like, you know, historic Christian traditions that have found their way to um, our little church, Calvary Cork. And uh, a lot of times they want to seek me out early on and kind of talk about even like their history of religious trauma or how this leader has hurt them or caused this damage or this, that, and the other. I don't mean that dismissively. I just mean like I'm summarizing that a lot of people would, would even come to our church with a history of religious baggage. And I listen with, you know, attentiveness, knowing that each of those stories are real and, and of course, they matter. And I gently, I've said this so many times, I've had the same conversation so many times. I, I gently, I want to be loving, and I say, and you know what? I'm so sorry that happened to you. We're going to let you down too. We're going to disappoint you as well. I, not in the way that you described. You know, I promise that we'll not do that, that, or that. But like, there's going to be a time when our church lets you down. I hope that it's far away, but if you stick around long enough, we'll disappoint you. Would you please be gracious to us when that happens? We'll do all that we can to minimize that, but we're imperfect. I don't want to overpromise what we can do. That's true for churches and also for individuals. Like, I hope that you have, and I hope that this can be a year where we grow in our sober self-assessment, where we really acknowledge the limits that we have. It feels good to fix somebody, right? But you can't. So we have to acknowledge that we have certain limits of what we can do. So we pursue humility by not overpromising what we can do. Also, as a humility-pursuing congregation, like that means you're allowed to ask for help. There's one perfect Savior in Olive Branch Church, and it's not you. And, it's, and, and he didn't just finish a, a sub-four-hour marathon. <laughs> There's one Savior, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that means that that allows you, as a, as a volunteer, as a committed attender, as a, as a newcomer, uh, that means that, that you are allowed to say, actually, I'm kind of overcommitted at the moment. Um, I need a break. Uh, I feel like I'm in over my head. I need some help. Uh, I need someone to teach me how to do this. I've kind of been faking it, but I I never really actually knew what I was doing. Can can you help me? Can you teach me? Can you show me? Can you support me? Uh, Years ago, there was somebody that was kind of lingering after our church service had ended. We pronounced the benediction. People had tea and coffee. They lingered around. And then as everyone kind of was gone, he was, had something on his mind and he was evidently embarrassed talking to me about, about it in a group. He wanted to ask me if it was if it was okay for Christians to go to therapy. And, and he said, I got these things I'd love to talk with, like a therapist, but, like, but I want to be a good Christian, so I, I feel like maybe I'm tempted to go to speak to a counselor about this. Could you like, 
do Christians ever go to therapy, Mike? And I'm like, bud, we sure do. <laughs> and then I gave him the number of my therapist. And I said, you know what? Like, why don't you consider that like maybe this person could play a role in helping you to understand these complicated situations that you're in and then point you in the right direction. So we're allowed to ask for help. Also, we mean we have permission to admit when we get it wrong. Now, kind of acknowledging it's Sunday morning, I'm talking to church folk here. Um, Isn't it strange how Christians of all people sometimes feel like we can't admit when we get it wrong? Like, isn't the whole point of Christianity is that we got things wrong? Like, we, we find it hard admitting that we've sinned or failed. But here's the thing. Jesus came to save sinners. And so if you've sin- like, the way that you're in the room in the first place is by acknowledging or admitting that. I think that there's a, I, I've heard a lot of testimonies in my time, people telling the story of their life that was full of error and foolishness and mistakes and everything was so bad. And then they made the wise decision of trusting in Jesus and then they've been wise and flawless ever since. That's not the case, is it? And, and in a humility-pursuing church, in a truth-telling community, uh, we also include that there's challenges and then even growth that takes place after that. We're able to admit when we get it wrong. Also, this means we're able to work alongside others instead of working against them. And, you know, I listened to last Sunday's sermon. It was really good. If you missed it, you should find it and listen to it again. And then also you should maybe set a reminder to listen to it, I'd say about September or October of 2024, and then listen to it again then, as things might get heated, as people might be less prone towards unity. Um, so that's a great message about the importance of intra-church unity. Um, but also, a humble church, a humble congregation is able to partner and work with others, realizing that we're on the same team. As Rachel said a while ago, the evangelical population, at least the self-identified evangelical population, is like less than 1% in Ireland. And so I don't look at the other churches in my city as competition, but we're on the same team. And what are the resources that we can share and collaborate? This year, I started a a book club uh, with like two like newer pastors in town. It's weird. I am welcoming these like two younger Irish pastors and I can like, I feel like I can show them the ropes a little bit, like by God's grace. But um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, strange thing to have these younger pastors going through a book club, talking about lessons learned in ministry. And I want them and their ministries and their churches to, to flourish. So as we pursue humility, that allows us to not look at others as rivals, but allies. Finally, humility is demonstrated to us by Jesus himself. Ultimately, although I just used a story about myself, <laughs> ultimately, we don't look to, to others to talk about like what a humble life looks like, but we heard it read to us earlier on. And again, thank you so much for that, that reading. Philippians chapter 2 tells us of like, we're invited to humility 
And then it tells us the story of like the U-shaped journey of Jesus, who was there's the quality of God. There's the throne room of heaven. And then he humbles himself by becoming a man. And then this downward journey. And then he, he, he even gives himself to death, not just any death, but the death on the cross. But then therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. He stooped low and then it ends with humiliation and subjugation, but then eternal glorification. And by that humble act of self-sacrifice, that means that you and I can be forgiven of our pride, of our arrogance, and then out of that forgiveness can flow a life of humble gratitude. Because Jesus, with all of his divine glory, he wasn't selfish and proud, but he was humble and generous. And then he goes low for you. He goes low for us. We tend to exalt ourselves, but Jesus is the one who stepped down. Uh, We try to introduce ourselves or curate our online personas to show how impressive we are. But Jesus made himself nothing. The humble God comes and redeems us with his blood because For some strange reason, he loves proud sinners. And then he shares his glory with us. And all it costs is for you and me to surrender our our foolish little ego. And as we wrap this up, as we've thought about the blessing that comes with humility, the danger that comes with pride, and then considering like humility embodied with our Savior, We're going to transition into a time of responsive worship. I believe there's one or two songs that we have. Um, And what a reminder to us that we're a Christian because God humbled himself and then called us to himself. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to say, like, I'm so glad you're here. And today is a great day to become one. We turn to the humble God. We surrender our pride into his nail-scarred hands. And so you're invited to come to him in prayer and ask him to bring you into his family, turning from pride and all the sins that root off of it. And for those of us that have been following Jesus, this is a time to take these words to heart, to think, to reflect, to surrender the pride that lingers there in our hearts and ask him to lead us in his life everlasting. So join me in prayer, and then we'll respond in song. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we've heard truth from your word, as we have considered the humility of the events of Good Friday and then the glory of Easter Sunday, I pray that our individual hearts can be receptive to this truth, not only informed, but bit by bit transformed. I pray that Olive Branch Christian Fellowship would be full of humility-pursuing men and women. Uh, Help them to live out their values. Help them to continue to be a blessing to Poway and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.